Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> by the way, yeah. I have been reading a, a sports anime RPG. Uh, mm. And I'm I'm very interested slash excited to play it, but I do kind of want to uh, put together a a Skyjacks mini series that is Griffin jousting teams from uh, various <laughs> like schools around oh. Sphere, mm. and yeah, just like do like get little little three person teams and you know have them all do a semifinal match and then make everybody fight each other for a championship like bracket i think that would be extremely good fun. i mean it's um, all fun and games until like a 12 year old pulls a gable skyjacks and impales somebody through the floor of the arena <laughs> but until then it'd be sick that i'm only- i'm open narratively to necessary very necessary <laughs> very necessary indeed uh, murder um, Murder doesn't need to happen in sports when it's narratively necessary. I mean, I would definitely watch uh, football. Sorry, soccer. I would watch soccer um, (laughs) if there was uh, active (laughs) combat. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's very kind. Can you please acknowledge that how fun it was to say soccer? Soccer, Uh, yes, indeed. And and this is, that's, I hate to break, that's your word. We learned it from watching you. It's just absolute contempt. In your voice, <laughs> sorry, it's right sucker. It's right here. I like Nathan put a little bit of French on it, which I really appreciate. Put it right here in the upper chest, sucker. Sucker. Uh, I'm learning to speak American from 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 listening to all of you. I'm doing my best, and I'm so sorry. Uh, Is there a Duolingo course I can join to, to uh, speak what, American? What American words? Uh, I, I can't think of y'all is like a big one, but like mm. uh-huh. hamburger. The last uh, little prizes, little, little morsels that I want to dole out is everybody gets one thing that they'd be able to fit in a pocket. Oh! Um, so I just I want you to tell me what what your your special little little takeaway prize is. Uh, and here I, I wanted um, to give Jonna a sniper rifle, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you want a sniper rifle, you can get well, a sniper what is rifle. Your, what is your gun stat, Jonna? Because I know you use a gun occasionally, but yeah, I'm. Well, 
I mean, my... I think it's just like ranged light is the skill which counts for all of those. Okay, because my ranged light, I've got two yellows and a green. My ranged heavy Ooh. is a little bit worse. Ooh. And then my gun, gunnery is for uh, is like a ship. Yeah, that's like a yeah. cannon. Yeah, so it's it's not too, too bad. I wouldn't, I, okay, I, I, I wouldn't impose, a, a t- I, I would be willing genuinely to give up Oromar's trinket to give Jonnet a sniper rifle. But that's just that's just me. If that's not if that's not okay with how with how things go, that's entirely fine. And I can think of something else. I that is absolutely fine. Anybody anybody can use their treasure slot to give another character a fun little gift if they want. That is fine. I'm just curious what people want. That's cool because I I think John it will figure out what he's going to do with that sniper rifle. But it'd be cool to get a gift from the captain. And then also I feel like. If we're giving gift trinkets, I, I was thinking of something that could have been for Jonnet, but I'm Travis might have a use for it. I feel like because the silver bullet, they kind of specialize in like smoke screens and things like that. And so I feel like they have they must have like the large can like for the ship, the barrels that fill it with smoke, but then they probably have smaller sort of smoke bomb yeah that we, we do know that they had smoke grenades that they were <laughs> no. actually th- throwing on, on the shelf of the ship but why not also Don't have tiny Travis little smoke bombs yeah. no <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's all like, we'll do now smoke bomb transform oh yes yeah uh-huh. oh very good <laughs> uh okay well now now it has to be a pattern what does travis get for gable <laughs> um, give me trace. sorry so yeah. i i have I don't know yet, but I do know that Travis is going to attempt to steal as many watches as he can outside (laughs) of the trinket. Oh, that's great. Allow me to really quick. Do you like evens or odds, Johnny? Odds. Okay, because there is always a chance that Margaret is somewhere using sleight of hand. And when she uses it, you cannot, as that is part of the deal that you had with her. Cool. It is even. You are going to fail at stealing a watch, and we will deal with that in a minute. But I do want to know what gift you're getting for Gable first. Give me treats. treats um, I me. think I want to get Gable. What? Okay, could they have like? What do you currently keep your sword in? Do you have like a big? It's a just. I assume it's not even a holder. It's just like a series of belts that are like wrapped around and. It's a Final Fantasy S sword, yeah, so well, obviously well, it's well. held on by several dozen belts. <laughs> that it. makes sense. Um, can I can I give Gable something that could they could potentially use to like sharpen or hone oh, the blade that? to yeah. maybe maybe like temporarily Ooh. whatever in a combat boost it slightly or something? Or is that too much power for no, an that- item? fucking rules i i love everything about that i am just trying to determine what could possibly sharpen a sword that is made from an angel feather and it has to be something like deep and primordial and i think something that only travis can recognize for what it is but there's also part of me maybe it is some sort of like spooky ancient whetstone but travis was just like oh here uh a rock you love rocks right <laughs> i i do love rocks but the way that you say it to me it makes me feel like you're insulting i just find no 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 you love you love to organize them on a shelf and and you know you name them 
you know, you name the one uh, blue and the one because uh, it's blue. Yeah. I don't know why you make fun of me. I, it's so well that, and then you named the one the the uh, you have another blue one that you named ocean. Yes, because it looks like the ocean. So you say it with such aggression, but <laughs> I don't have any shame over my collection of rocks that I find to be pretty and shiny. This Liz is a chunk of firmament. Um, Ooh. As I'm sure everyone knows, firmament is is the substance that the heavens are made out of. Aether is is like another thing that, that that people called it, but but like firmament is kind of a chunk of the sky. When the angels fell, when the stars fell to sphere, there was not just their physical bodies, but there were literal chunks of heaven that they were attached to that fell with them. That, I imagine, is what could hone Gable's blade. That is like the only thing that I can imagine that would do mm. that. Cool. So here's what I think. Like Travis is just like handing over a rock and making fun of me because of all the rocks that I like. And as soon as that hits Gable's hand, there is such a wealth of divine power in this cargo hold right now between this and the mm. feather and the relic and also Ormar having the crown of the sovereign that Gable just yeah. basically shuts down. And Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, no. Did I give you a very good rock? <laughs> uh, uh, but, uh, but then as a result of that, they say, Bird, I, I want to give the cap- captain one of their birds. Give me a bird. Give me a good bird. All right, bird. Nathan. You pick a bird. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing, Nathan. I will let you choose one of the extant birds that we've already discussed, mm. or there can be a secret reserve bird, but you will have to draw a luminary for it. We're not going to be able to control. Oh, I, I, I assumed it was ordinary sized bird and not a... <laughs> oh! Okay. I mean, hey, if you want a mundane, I mean, I, I, bird, I mean, I assumed ordinary birds existed. Um, although uh, they, ordinary birds do exist, they do exist. They do what exist. I will make it. I think I'm gonna say, why not both? We'll split the difference. It will be a young griffin. Basically, it's it's like wow. bird size, but if you raise it right, if you feed it enough, it will be able to grow to 8.3 times its its natural its size. Its name is Thomas Giacci. <laughs> and this, then, Nathan, I will allow you to pick any bird you would can, like. Can I have a hummingbird, please? Oh, oh shit. You can it's have so a small. Yay. <laughs> Wait, I'm genuinely, so then, I'm genuinely really happy. Oh, my God. Giant... <laughs> It'll be like cat sized or like <laughs> it depends on the hummingbird, What's, honestly. I'm just like, what if we can, if it's still airborne and huge, bigger than a normal hummingbird, like the amount of wind it's going to be able to like kick up. <laughs> yeah. The, well, the thing that I am interested in it, like this, Nathan has picked the most challenging bird probably to raise it to a griffin because like they're basically on an all sugar diet, which mm. so expensive mm. to feed that bird, mm. generally speaking, and to feed it up to griffin size that is an enormous challenge befitting of this captain mm. uh yeah i <laughs> nathan hoist Gr- by the fact that he knows very little about birds but that's still a challenge <laughs> i'm willing to take that sounds rad <laughs> griffins are 8.3 times bigger right 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. They can they can grow up to 8.3 times bigger and, and probably even a little bigger than that, but 8.3 is like the general cap. So then a hummingbird would still be tiny, right? Yeah, it would be like like the size of a dog or a cat, you know. It could get pretty big, but like you're not going to be able to ride it oh, for sure. Oh, that's so good. It's very cute. That's it's amazing. just a drone. I, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, mean <laughs> I, I think Oromar... Because, you know, it takes Oromar a really long time to specifically emote thanks in their face. It takes too long. Because it's a lot of very individual (laughs) nerves needing to be pulled like puppet strings to manage it. Uh, And that happened previously with a very slow and terrifying smile that uh, Oromar made before he said, please kneel. We get... You get the same slow change in expression, but it's one of like a genuine kind of warm smile, Gable. Uh, uh, you're welcome. I, got, I have to go. Goodbye. <laughs> Gable leaves. <laughs> Gable joins Janet just leaving the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Gable's also doing the two step. Uh, yeah. Adios. Uh, with, See you later. With, with the guest. Does, does, does Travis stay or does Travis also go? Well, Travis is going to try and steal a watch uh, yes. and fail. So got to see how that goes. Mm-hmm. Oh, real quick. Small thing with the, the smoke bombs. I feel like they come in the form of like a brace, like a beaded bracelet. Oh, amazing. And so, yeah, I feel like, yeah, boom, bam. Perfect. I love, love Travis wearing a beaded bracelet. That's mm-hmm. good. I mean, if, Tra- if if Travis kind of wanders off to go steal some watches, then that means that there's a moment alone between the two captains where, you know, there's a general resolve of Insign, insign um, going, so regarding repairs, uh, your damage is different to ours. We can split the difference in terms of repair items. As I say, there are also funeral costs to cover, to which... I think previously, before the kind of treasure hoard that we kind of took ourselves, uh, Oromar would have really heavily hiked the price in gold that we would have taken. But I think Oromar isn't going to like clean them out of all of their gold stocks because we're taking these other items. But just to kind of put it on the table, we we go and exchange resources for repairs. So we take the repair items that we need from them and we give them some of the repair items we don't need. And also, yeah, yeah, the, the money that will be needed to settle the two deaths from aboard our ship. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that is not difficult to do at all. The Uhuru is going to have, if not be fully repaired, they're going to have all of the raw material they need to perform these repairs at a port. Mm-hmm. I, I think for now, especially the mizzen stack is, way back to is, a port. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That stack is probably got a, a, a temporary like leather tube is set up in place of like the actual like iron tube that you're going to Mm -hmm. need but uh yeah you you are you are in position to leave i do need to know travis whose watch do you try to steal would you like me to pull luminary to see yeah uh, sure have an idea i didn't have an idea just whoever uh oh it's the rusalka so the rusalka is going to tell us I know exactly how it goes down, too. (laughs) Oh, great. Yeah, so it's temptation, desire, and longing. Probably the captain, then. Yep. Yeah. Yes. So I think what happens is I am trying to steal the watch, and I'm also wearing this brand new bracelet 
that I don't fully understand how it works. And I think that in the process of trying to steal it, one of the smoke bombs like goes off. But because it's like kind of in bo- one of our sleeves still, it just like burns. <laughs> so maybe it burns a hole in either my or his jacket. And and then it's uh, like... Yeah, your jacket, I think, is too good to burn. Fair. What I do like, I do really like the idea of like one of these smoke bombs going off and fizzling because the way this works, Johnny, when Margaret is using your skill, it's as though you never had it. Your hands, like you know what you want to do, your hands just don't know how to do it. It is a, a really strange feeling, but it also uh, comes with a tightness around your ring finger, as though an invisible thread is just tied a little too tight. Well, I hope she got something good. <laughs> Is that what you say to <laughs> yeah. the captain as they're like shaking his hand and like you pull back the smoke bomb like goes off. There's this burst of smoke between you. It, since it goes off and it can't like fully open up, when I like pull my hand back, it's just like a 4th of July smoke bomb that just like a trail of smoke is just coming out of my <laughs> sleeve for like a really long time. <laughs> yeah, and it's like making like a buzzy toot noise. <laughs> Changing colors. Yes. <laughs> I I think that's silly enough that we don't need to deal with heavier fallout from that. <laughs> I would then like to turn our attention to the Uhuru now. As I've said, the Uhuru and the Silver Bullet, like th- their most essential repairs have taken place. You can see the patches of true weave on the Silver Bullet uh, lighting up their brilliant crimson as it takes to the sky and slowly ascends. And of course, the full bleed of the Uhuru's sail melts up as the night will soon be turning to early morning. There are just a few hours left of evening. Everyone is tired, but there are funeral arrangements to make. Soon, the entire crew of the Uhuru will be gathered on the main deck to say goodbye to the two brave souls that fell in this fight. And we already discussed kind of some of the things that I'd I'd like to get at earlier, but I am curious what everybody's doing to prepare for those moments. Arma kind of ushers Travis back into the captain's quarters and uh, signs, okay, I, I need to change my arm back. Because during the during the <laughs> combat, uh, in a moment of kind of like fury, Oromar unlocked his ability to use bone shaping, which has to be said that way or it doesn't work, um, <laughs> and uh, transformed his, I think, left arm into a sword of flesh and bone. And it was very effective, but it was also A, a drain on Travis, and B, <laughs> uh, we didn't turn it back again. So that entire kind of like time that we were aboard uh, the Silver Bullet, Oromar had a elegant purple asymmetrical cape draped over that shoulder to hide the fact that they were carrying a weapon, <laughs> whether they wanted to or not. But now the moment has passed. We can't be showing up to a funeral packing heat like that. That's, that's inappropriate. <laughs> so uh, yeah. 
I'm, I'm going to have to. <laughs> that's, that's, that's in the ship's handbook for funerals. No packing heat during the funeral, please. Fine. <laughs> We're going to have to. I don't know why I'm stage whispering because I'm signing this to you, but... <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to change my arm back. I, re- I recognize that this is a strain on you also. I apologize. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. There's, you can't... Look, we all know you can't go to a funeral packing heat. So <laughs> the captain nods sagely, and uh, yeah, that has two meanings for me. What? Spit. What? what? And now we? I'm gone again. No, Spit. not part Spit. of the scene. What's the second meaning? Spit. Not, what is it? Mm. <laughs> it's sexual. But I want you to say it. Your life just can't be innuendo. Sometimes you have to say the thing. What's Sometimes the it has meaning? to be outuendo. You're right. You're right. <laughs> Full honesty is important. And that would be a turgid erection. Okay, thank so you. So congratulations right. to you. Thank you. For that being on the air. Okay, well. Everyone knows who to blame for that. Captain and it, it's, it's not me. It's certainly a, a person who was on, who is using their voice to say a word. And contextless, it is certainly just that person <laughs> using their voice <laughs> to say those words. <laughs> so... Checkmate. Horamar's <laughs> uh, soul, but body does not say, I can't believe he was one of my closest friends. He still is, though. <laughs> still is? Yeah. No, genuinely. Um, <laughs> um, you know, there's a, there, are, there are things both of them have been through at this point that, you know, regardless of the kind of person that Spit has become in old age, they're still close. But yes, absolutely. The only close person in Orimar's life who hasn't betrayed him mm-hmm. or like distanced himself. So mm. there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, he's a freak, do, but also a do friend. I need? Should I be rolling some bones to anti bone shape, or is it just a? Uh... <laughs> yeah, mm, we could. I will allow you to choose. I mean, it, it's really not a tactical decision. What I'm going to say in most situations, you will need to roll. However, when we know it's going to happen, you don't want to mm. roll. You'll just take three times the strain from Travis because mm. uh, we'll just assume that it took a couple tries or something okay. like that. Is that some because, you know, this isn't just me. Is that a thing you're OK with joining? Yeah, totally. Uh, let me just double check. So how many strain would it cost? It would be six in that case. Six. Yeah. Then no, I'm not okay with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to. That will take all your strain. That, yeah. uh, is cool. Well, that that then just goes into wounds. Yeah. Is then you start feeling physically is ill. There a way I, that I'm... I can because you know Oromar does have a strain stat, and there's the whole thing that if Oromar hits zero strain, the soul leaves the body. And I like, is there a way that I can put this burden on myself instead of Travis? Nathan, I'm going to say absolutely yes. However, mm. <laughs> there is a caveat. Okay. If you do that, the, the more strain that you pull from yourself, that strain represents your connection to your body, which also represents your ability to take shelter in your body. The more strain that you spend, the more vulnerable you become to the cutting stone. Mm-hmm. Sounds juicy. I, d- <laughs> I do have the wounds to take the hit, assuming we don't get into a fight now. And you're like a couple hours away from uh, the sun setting and, and turning back into a manimal, mm-hmm. or the sun rising and turning into a manimal. A danimal. Danimal. So I'm happy to take the strain in the wounds. Okay, right. If this if this wouldn't put you horrendously out, we can experiment with uh, my own strain manipulation another time. That's fine. Okay. Yeah, we we get a reverse kind of like I, there's 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 grandeur to it, you know. 
aspiring pirate king, but we get a kind of magical girl transformation sequence kind of thing where we get the <laughs> the magical effect moving along the arm as it moves from bone sword into human hand and human arm. I love this so much. I mean, I am obviously a fan of the magical girl genre, but I love the idea of like replacing like sparkles with flesh. Oh yeah, it's like twists it is of blood <laughs> and shards of bone Ooh. that kind of glitter around Oromar's arm as it reforms itself. Yeah, and it is beautiful and graceful in a way. It's just also horrifying. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I love that so much. Travis, hmm. what is this like for you? Like, you feel yourself dying. I want to check in because this is not like the pain of transformation. This is a different thing. Yeah, because I think transforming is a it's a physical pain. Mm-hmm. This, I feel like, is, you know, like a kind of a spiritual pain. So I think it's 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 more like I think it hits almost like maybe kind of like depression or or like the side effects of mm. depression so like you, you know like uh, really you know difficult to be motivated that sort of thing until my strain comes back especially in yeah. the moment i kind of like the idea of it being a little bit like post traumatic stress in that this is reminding you of other times in your life you have almost died, mm. which is a lot. And I, I just love very quick snippet. We don't need to get too deep into it. What was one of those? Oh what comes to mind while you feel yourself dying? I So I think specifically it feels like times that I was close to death before I was immortal. Oh yeah. Because now it, it's yeah, I don't I don't think it really matters to Travis now because like most likely he's going to be fine. You know, he's been fine so many mm-hmm. times. So I think it goes more back to wh- when he was mortal and actually facing a more real danger. So I feel like it's it's maybe uh, this time I think maybe it has something to do with you know the night that his parents died and i think that after sort of the encounter have we we've do people know how much do people know about that encounter okay so like everything that that was what we did during the live show okay that's that's on there right okay yeah yeah. so like when he encountered gable that was fine but i think that like as the stars were falling and everything he had to find somewhere to escape Maybe. Oh yeah, this is this is well before the stars fell. Uh, I do want to point. That oh okay, out. you were a man by the time the stars fell. This is just, just Gable rained down wrath and judgment. Imagine that you were in Sodom when that uh, was destroyed. Okay, so yeah, I think he you know is seeking refuge maybe in a building, maybe in honestly maybe in his his home. I imagine them being rich, they had some sort of like whatever kind of constituted a weird panic room or something. Mm. So I think he was maybe there, but the building started to collapse and he got lodged in a not good place and was maybe stuck in the building for a while. So it wasn't, it wasn't so much that like he was in an, an abrupt, like painful mortal danger, but maybe he was trapped for a while and was like 
you know, very thirsty and hungry and, and losing hope that he could get out. Apologies in advance to people who are claustrophobic, mm. but I think Travis was in like, there's probably a icebox, you know, like a scullery type room that was kept very cool where they kept the food. Travis ran in there. The building collapsed. Travis is in a small enclosed space, can barely move for a long time. And he eventually, we get shots between him doing this and him being a rabbit, like crawling through brush. Like it is so small. He has to move and flex his body, claw and crawl his way towards a light that might not even be there. There are points where he thinks, you know, even with the mind of a young child, that he might be hallucinating an escape in front of him. The only thing he knows is that he must move because if he stops moving, that will mean he has accepted death. And there is like the crawling, hunting nose of a predator as Travis squeezes himself uh, under the brush in his rabbit form. There is this sick and, and hungry child that, that has been emotionally and, and physically tormented, not just by his life and, and the, the people that were supposed to take care of him, but by the cruelty of fate that put him in this city that was doomed to fall to the blade of an angel's judgment. And in both circumstances, there is a small pinpoint of light days later that Travis is barely able to reach a hand through and emerge too weak to move, but at least he had the satisfaction of passing out in the sun. Okay, so now we have these two people sitting, staring at one another. Mm. Arma slowly lifts the arm now made back into flesh and individually moves each finger. And the nerves are where they're supposed to be. This hasn't, you know, reshuffled into something of a vague amalgam of what Arma remembers to be a hand and the nerves inside. It's almost as if this is back to a previous state Loading state on this computer of a body where where the, the nerves where they were supposed to be. I I, I will enjoy I like the idea a lot of this. <laughs> yeah. I, I like that this is a lot of it's just based on kind of Dref's notes and th- those were pretty accurate. He did like extensive like surgeries and whatnot, but like you're kind of going off books mm-hmm. for here. So yeah, maybe it even works a little better. <laughs> and Oromar uh, turns back to Travis, who is how are you, are you? Are you still standing? Have you sat down? Are you lying down now? Yeah, I think I think he's still standing. I th- I think that he can't hide this pain as well as he can hide like mm-hmm. transformation pain, but he can still mostly keep his composure. Mm. Um, Aramal looks at you in the eyes, and you don't see, unfortunately, anything behind those eyes, and uh, despite. Uh, Oromar's genuine uh, putting a hand as softly as he can on your shoulder and signing with the other hand, are you well? Just looking into those cold, dead eyes makes the sentiment seem a little hollow. Never better. 
And now we've got four hands between us, so let's go to a funeral. (laughs) (laughs) Oromar says back, we have had a variable number of hands between us at multiple points, haven't we? (laughs) (laughs) And with that, he steps outside the cabin. Hey heroes, it's James, your game master, and welcome to the mid-roll. Heroes, first things first, I want to remind everyone that we are approaching the end of this arc. I unfortunately have not heard the episode audio from this week, so I don't know if this is the last episode of the arc or if the next episode is the last episode of the arc. But either way, the arc will be concluded soon, and we are currently working on recording the first parts of the brand new arc. However, I am also facing a future where in January I will have a new baby in my life, uh, which is a wonderful and exciting thing, but it also means that my schedule is going to become somewhat unpredictable and I don't want the release schedule for Campaign Skyjacks to become unpredictable alongside it. And on top of that, Casey Tony, our dear editor, works very hard and would appreciate some time to get ahead on our editing schedule so he doesn't have to push himself quite as hard as he pushes himself right now. In order to do that, between the end of this arc and the start of the next one, we're going to be taking a small break from the main campaign on the Campaign Skyjacks feed. In its place, we're going to have lots of wonderful content, including new episodes of All My Fantasy Skyjacks, where I invite Aaron Catano Saez and Jeff Stormer of the All My Fantasy Children podcast and Drew Merzieski of Skyjack's Courier's Call to join me on the show and build out new pieces of lore for the world of Sphere. So there are going to be plenty of Skyjack's goodies awaiting you every Wednesday while we take this short break. And once it's over, we'll return to the skies once more. So stay tuned to the Skyjack's feed. Just know that we're going to be taking a break from the main story to accommodate a consistent future. Also, since it's November, I wanted to remind everyone that we do take a week off to celebrate American Thanksgiving. And with that said, you have plenty of really exciting content coming out right now. If you happen to be a Patreon subscriber at the $5 level or more, you've got access to the newest Skyjacks bonus series, Skyjacks Azure Blues. Starring Patrick Rothfuss, Amy Vorpal, and myself, Azure Blues continues the adventure of Margaret and Jolly Jack. The second episode drops this Thursday with the rest of the six-part series coming out every other week. And through episode three, at least, we're going to have bonus content on the off weeks. If you're not a one-shot patron already, now is an extremely good time to become one. Speaking of our lovely patrons, I wanted to take a quick moment and thank some of them before we get back to the show. Penny Van Batavia, thank you so much. Ash Cancel, thank you. Cat, Sky-Guided Vulpine Friend, thank you so much. Matt, thank you. Eric Levitt, thank you very much. Kay. Thank you so much. Moosenstein. Thank you. Trivia Kit. Thank you very much. Rachel Callagher. Thank you so much. Boss Moogle. Thank you. Michael Renner. Thank you very much. Isaac Meyer. Thank you. Minx. Thank you so much. And Sean Hendrickson. Thank you very much. Thanks again to everyone who supports us on Patreon. We wouldn't be able to make this show without you. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now then, with all of that out of the way, let's get back in the sky. Let's go to Jonnet first. Jonnet. You know, you've got a little bit of time before the funeral. I'm in the same room with you. I don't know why I'm looking at the computer. It's weird. Yeah. (laughs) You've got a little bit of time before the funeral. There's probably a lot to unpack. And also, this is another situation where you kind of saved the day. You did a lot of work on your own. And the reason that the silver bullet was ultimately brought down was a spell that you cast after you were like very coincidentally ripped from the hull of the ship and had to fight a whole troop of people on birdback shooting shotguns at you. Jonnet is someone who jumps into responsibility and taking action very, very quickly. I would love to see one of the moments where Jonnet, the, the, the 15-year-old child, going on 16 in probably a, a, shoe, a few short weeks, how is he dealing with this? I think Jonnet, unless Gable is going to be in the, uh, the, the bird stables, I think Jonnet is definitely going to kind of sneak away. He's already in his black attire for the funeral. So there isn't necessarily any changing that needs to happen, but I think he's trying to just catch a little bit of his breath. And so he escapes over to Metatron's stable. And yeah, he, he, he checks in with Metatron and he's like, wow, that is like, you were, you were, you were amazing up there. We make a pretty good team. And he's like, he's got a bit of a smile on his face, a smirk on his face. He's, he's petting Metatron. And then he kind of pulls his hand back from Metatron's neck and just giving scratches on the neck. And he notices that his left hand is trembling and he notices it. And then he kind of looks at his right and he notices that it is also trembling. And he's kind of just realizing that he is still currently getting waves of that adrenaline because I think to your point, there is a level of, you know, jumping into action that Jonnet kind of does, but there is also an element of like reacting that is kind of forced on him from time to time, whether it's the situation or just the divine light of the universe where it's like he sees things and responds to things that he shouldn't be seeing. Yeah. And so I think there's, moments of like he is trembling he is shaken and he also knows that and probably sooner than he would like he's going to be called to go to this funeral service and kind of have some of it together and so he just lets himself kind of sit like kind of just like sit next to metatron i feel like there's probably an element of the bird 
realizing that something's a bit off. And so we maybe get like a small little tableau where we pull back and we just see Jonnet just kind of feeling next to this bird that's letting this kid feel. And he's just going to stay there until he's called upon for the actual funeral. Yeah, Liz, I, I'll ask you. One, one thing that we do know about griffins is they are smarter and, you know, I'll, I'll say more, more empathetic, more connected to humans than normal birds would be. Metatron has been a companion to Gable for an indeterminate amount of time. What does Metatron do when someone is in emotional distress around him? Oh, Metatron is weirdly like flees all about speed. Lucas is too self-centered. Metatron <laughs> has learned by being Gable's preferred horse, <laughs> as it were. The the rhythm. Oh wait, we gotta set off the horse girl alarm real quick. <laughs> Just get that in there. <laughs> Let's please continue. Uh, Yes. In in that way, Gable is not the most emotionally stable. So dealing with someone who has a lot of feelings and a lot of uh, being a horse rider is controlling yourself and every small movement because the horse can tell every small movement. So I think with this, even though it's not really normal for a hawk like this to settle this way, once Metatron sees that John is kind of upset, Metatron gets down on his haunches, kind of sits like a sleepy little owl and fluffs up a bit and just pretends to be asleep and fluffing himself up to, to be cuddled next to. The kind of like oh, one yeah. eye There's definitely like we see Metatron like fluff up and then we kind of get a closer shot of Jonnet realizing that Metatron is kind of giving, like offering of space to like kind of be and so we see Jonnet take in the offer, kind of look around to make sure <laughs> he, he like he pokes his head out of, of Metatron's stable like, anybody in here? And then he kind of like tucks in a little bit and gets a little small and kind of nuzzles with the with Metatron. Aww. Yeah, yeah. We 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 <laughs> move our camera across this like peaceful scene of someone who carries the weight of the world finding a little bit of comfort before having to go into another really difficult situation. And the camera moves across the aviary, uh, uh, across Flea, who is, you know, also kind of like huddled up and, and, and sleeping a little bit, over to Lucas, who is hunched over something that they're hiding. And, you know, we can see Lucas crane his long head around when John, it says, is anybody around here? Lucas also like stuck out his head to like watch the coast. When he sees the coast is clear, he returns back to eating the human body that he managed to steal uh, from the chaos as Lucas is now just 100% loves to eat people. Um, I would. Oh no. I would love to check in with Gable. Gable, where are you at? Gable is in a, a kind of quiet, dark corner of the cargo hold. They, similarly to John, don't want to be seen. So they're walking around saying, I'm just here to check, inspect uh, the all, all the spices. And 
incense that we'll need for the funeral. Nothing to see here. And they're knocking on various planks of wood in the wall until they finally find the hollow one. And they pop out the plank of wood and it's just a series of shelves of rocks. God, yes! Oh, thank you, Liz! Oh my god! Oh. It's all like uh, some are shiny, some are big, and they're all labeled by color or by the feeling that it engenders in the person. It's definitely like a person who collects rocks, but it knows nothing about geology. So, like, this is yeah, this one it's is kind of like being a crystal hippie, but, yes. but also <laughs> it's just rocks. <laughs> See, I think this one was made when a large uh, animal sat in a very long, for a long, long time, like hundreds of years, and that's how it became so flat. I like that Gable, who has observed all of time, has some indication that that is a possibility for a thing to happen in the world, but like only vaguely knows and understands it. So like just decides these things. This Gable probably <laughs> watched some of these rocks form and yeah. is just vaguely remembering it happen. And curious. Yeah. <laughs> or a lot of just like the wrong scientific method. Like, well, this rock is from sand that people whispered their secrets to. <laughs> just over and if it was years. a good secret, it hardened. It hardened. So, like, these are this is just a very good secret. So, I can't wait to find out. <laughs> uh, after the funeral, Gable does have a date with a gentleman caller. I think it's important to. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> my mother set it up for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So they're putting their new rock in in their rock collection. It and- is. A different sort of rock. Mm-hmm. Leave it to Travis to give you a different rock. <laughs> but I know what it is, right? I I don't need to search Gable's mind. I, I I don't think so. Maybe Gable didn't know immediately on touching. Immediately on touching it, they knew it was special. But that's happened with rocks before. Sometimes rocks are special. That's a thing that not a lot of people understand about rocks. And Gable probably figures, well, you have to have been around since the history of time in order to really connect with rocks in the way that I do. But yeah, it like after a little bit, especially like being around that big collection of divine power, it becomes sort of clear to you what is going on with this rock. Gable also takes out the bag full of garbage that that has that has their feather in it and they look in and you said it's kind of busted like the eyes are kind of looking around kind of hazily and yeah so they wrap their hand in a kerchief and pull out the the feather and put it amongst the rocks and kind of sit there maybe rub on a very shiny rock that they found and it's their thinking rock mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, you you look into the eyes of this angel feather and the irises on angel feathers are flames. You look and around that void in the center, the, the starless void that makes up the pupil of an angel feather's eye, there is just this fire. And of course, on this one, it is moving so much slower. Angels can't die angel feathers really don't deteriorate but you know this one 
does look like it has had a difficult time. And, you know, you said earlier that it was yours, and I think that's correct. You know, this is a part of yourself that you are now looking at that has been separated from you for a long time, and it looks like specific work has been done to it, almost. Like, someone has messed around with this thing. Hmm. I want to do a magic. All right. I, what, what, do you, what do you have in mind? There is... So we have the firmament of heaven. We have mm-hmm. an angel's feather. Using the logic of relative materials, can I use these two things to connect to the crown? Yeah, probably. Probably. Like, I, I think you're right. This is the sort of... I think if Dref were to have this idea, Dref would know there are so many steps that must be taken, observations and measurements. But Gable just has the instinctual like, yeah, there's probably a path between all these things. <laughs> it's all it's all the same stuff, right? <laughs> all I have to do is be strong enough and hot enough to figure it out. Yeah. Th- th- that's not how things are figured out. G- G- Gable, please. Sounds like uh, strong <laughs> enough or hot enough, Dreff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing it. I'm going to, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to cast divine magic to be able to pull power from the crown. What are you trying to accomplish? What end? Are you just trying to establish a connection between these things? I want to know what it is giving the captain. Okay. This is going to be hard. It is going to be two red and one purple. Oh, so uh, not three purple. Okay. Not three purple. Two red, one one purple. (laughs) That's a failure in two advantages. Okay. Okay. What's Gable's methodology for doing this? I would very much like to to know how it's going down. The way that I see this happening is that, so I'm still not touching the feather because I know what happens there. Using electric, like the, the theory of electricity. So like firmament, I assume like has probably like metal in it, right? Yeah, it, it, it's it's hard to define what firmament is. It isn't the same thing as like a rock full of minerals. This is a chunk of heaven. Mm-hmm. So it's weird, but yeah, there's probably something that has properties that are kind of like metal. So they take their fingernail and scrape along the rock to, this is not how science works, but to create a spark and take the spark and draw it in a line to the feather to make that connection to teach it, teach the magic that this is the DNA of the thing that we're looking for, and then expands that to strike it out to the whole ship. So what happens? Gable, you touch your finger to the firmament and you drag your nail along it. And as you do that, a, a trail of light follows and around your finger is a halo. That halo pulls out from the firmament 
and creates a line that resemble the lines of the universe that, that Jonnet sees when he looks through his third eye. These are the divine connections that exist between all things. You are merely opening up direct channels between these things, as this is kind of how you understand your body. If an angel with all of its eyes and all of its wings attached were to look at itself in a mirror, the thing that it would see is a being that is made out of connections of creation. Sort of like understanding that you as a person are merely a collection of cells and bacteria and, you know, elements all working together or or understanding that any object is a collection of atoms. An angel can understand that to a degree much farther than any mortal being would be able to. Not seeing yourself as an individual, but more a presence in a greater whole. You open up these channels between the feather and the firmament, both fragments of heaven. And through that, you extend out to the rest of the ship. And here, you know, we can feel a little bit of an icy trickle of pain as your other feathers, the ones that you have reconstituted to yourself, flare open. And you can once again feel the absence of wings that you should have. You ignore it as you have to ignore that pain pretty much constantly. This flares out to the connection of ship, to the ship where you can feel something that is the center of heaven. All things are all things. The universe, everything that is creation is all the same thing. And it is infinite, and it is eternal and expansive. There could be no center, but there is. There is a story that we tell ourselves about what is the center, what is the throne, what is the seat. And that object is the crown. And it is here with you. And you try to establish and control a channel between these two things and the crown to learn something about it. And what you feel is that there is another presence questing and hunting, searching at you, and this is what I'm going to give you. You learn, instead of anything about the Sovereign's crown or or what might be happening, you learn that there is a reason that you have not been found and a reason that you are hard to see. It is the same principle that makes you difficult to focus on, difficult to truly take in. That principle, that blur, that separates you as an injured piece of the universe that is not quite able to be connected to everything around it in the way that it should, and therefore not able to be perceived. It's something that in your past, whether you knew it or not, you've taken advantage of. And as the lights of heaven, the fragments of stars fallen to the earth, are beginning to spin up and and burn and shine, you can feel 
fragments of the very empty sky above you questing at you. And you can feel the frayed edges where they fail to find you. And I think I will impose this on you and then in return control in a second. I think Gable makes an uncharacteristically clever move and pulls back from those frayed edges, manages to defend themselves against this questing. So you've learned nothing about the Sovereign's Crown, but what you have learned is that you are being searched for, or that maybe not you specifically are being searched for, but this sort of divine energy is being searched for, and most importantly, you've learned how not to be seen. Mm. Gable shoves the plank back into the wall and says, Travis is right. Rocks are stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Stupid rocks. I'm done with rocks. Done. You shove that closed. It like makes an audible like like thunk. And I think you were kind of like hunkered down in a corner that's behind some boxes. And behind you, you, you can feel somebody jump. And you realize like while you were doing this magic, Behind you, like maybe 10, 15 feet away, Nodos is on the other side of the room, like practicing a eulogy. And I am going to say that Nodos, you know, you know uh, how some people to deal with stage fright imagine the audiences as in their underwear or something. The way Nodos practices speaking in front of a large crowd is he is not accustomed to it is he will practice his speech in front of a full length body mirror in his underwear because he's then already given it in the most embarrassing and vulnerable state possible and therefore it would be easy to do it in front of people does he Um, see me yeah i think he sees you and you see him and you still have like a bit of halo going on what's up Mm. (laughs) <laughs> Mr. Gable. <laughs> C- cool. Mir- I'll mir- ca- catch you at the funeral. Yes, then. we have to go to it. The funeral for our uh, our friends died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I'm sad. I'm sad about um, it. Yes. Um, you look good. You look okay. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I'm not sure if the ship is. There is there's an that. instantaneous flashback of some time during the bachelor party. You both got very blackout drunk and you just remember a second of whatever it is. And I think you remember being extremely close to one another and like kind of that's it. And we go our separate ways. <laughs> I would like to then ship, zoom. Ship delivery service from James D'Amato. Mm. Truly. What does it mean? Will that fan fiction decide that? <laughs> um, we zoom out to the top deck of the Uhuru and to the repaired main furnace. That is the piece of the ship that was most fervently worked on and repaired. It is still damaged, but it is the largest furnace on the ship and therefore the only appropriate vessel 
to say goodbye to your departed companions. To remind everyone, fallen in this battle were Daisy of Daisy and Fuentes and Line Tender, a character that had one speaking role and told a fun ghost story and then didn't come back. And I am now realizing is unfortunately like one of the very few uh, uh, female pirates that like we had established for this crew. So we really do got to get some more ladies in here. We'll, we'll, we'll think about that. But yes, these two have been laid out and decorated for their final journey. And to point out part of this tradition is that in a way, it is never going to be their final journey. Their ashes will be burned and and their smoke will be committed to the weave and they will be with you as long as the Uhuru sails blaze in the sky. This is saying goodbye to the person that you loved and the person that you could touch, but also committing to carry them with you wherever you may go for the rest of your days. There is a huge collection of somber pirates passing around bottles of rum, passing around, you know, handkerchiefs, giving what comfort they can to one another in these moments. I'm going to draw here. For Fuentes, I drew the bounty. And what I think that means to me is Fuentes was at a crossroads here. Daisy was Fuentes's matey. In pirate traditions, pirates got gay married all the time. It was kind of very normal for them. If there were two crew members aboard a ship and like one of them passed away, if they were mateys, that the share of the one who had passed away would pass to the remaining crew member. It, it was one of the strangely democratic and, and kind of beautiful institutions that, that real life pirates managed to put together for themselves. Daisy was Fuentes's other half. They cannot imagine a life without one another. And now they are in that unimaginable circumstance. And what Fuentes has is Daisy's guitar. And the funeral service is quite different than the one that happened for your friend Dref. Fuentes made a request because it was a request that Daisy made that Fuentes always assured would never come to pass and therefore was unnecessary to make, but nonetheless carried in their heart, was that there not be any words at Daisy's funeral, because Daisy could not abide words. Daisy was a musician, and Daisy played music, and those were the only things, those notes on that guitar, were the only things that felt true to Daisy. So instead, Fuentes takes Daisy's guitar and uses their own much clumsier fingers to make it cry one last song for Daisy before the guitar is sent into the fire as well to join Daisy so that even in their passing, they might be able to express themselves. Mm -hmm. 
after this, I, I think Fuentes breaks down and there is a contingent of the crew that, that heads over and provides what comfort they can, knowing that only time can do the rest. After this, we come to Line Tender. Line Tender's funeral does resemble Dreff's more because Line Tender, much like Dreff, was also a person of words. There are people who tell stories about Line Tender, how she had come to join the crew, how she had fought bravely in the Battle of Nordia, how she had worked hard in the difficult months after Oromar Vale passed away to ensure that rations lasted for each member of the crew and each of the orphans that the crew carries aboard. But I think, especially to people like Travis and Gable, you know, these aren't things that you can say about someone that stand out remarkably. If you've been to a funeral, and certainly as many as, as these two have, people start to say the same things because ultimately human beings touch each other's lives in remarkably the same way. Although you can have a vastly different experience from person to person, love is love. Sadness is sadness, and loss is loss. And so, the crew of the Uhuru, as the furnace door is closed and the ship continues to rise into the sky, and our furnaceer opens the flue to let in air to increase the heat of the burn and make the weave glow a brilliant crimson. The crew of the Uhuru is left collected on the deck, and there is unfinished business to attend to. We return once again to the Skyship Uhuru, where there is a long line of colorful characters awaiting for their opportunity to audition to join the crew of notorious pirates under Oromar Vale. Uh, one such hopeful leaves the line. Uh, we see a man who appears to be in his uh, late 50s, early 60s. He's got a salt and pepper beard, uh, a head of hair that that is unkempt and looks definitely dyed. Um, he has a heavy sunburn slash tan on his face. Um, he is wearing old style Hollywood sunglasses, uh, and he is dressed in a golf shirt. Um, he comes off the line, uh, places his headshot and resume down on the table in, in front of everybody else and takes a seat on the auditioner's stool. Good afternoon. Um, are you, are you right? You look a little, um, Sun sunburned. I'm sure we have a, a suntan lotion available. Uh, sun. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. I was I was on a set all day. 
Uh, my name is uh, Joe D'Amato. Oh, he's here. Oh, well, um, <laughs> it's a pleasure to meet you, uh, Mr. D'Amato. And um, offering like a, a large, slow hand for a handshake. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, Joe D'Amato will, will, will uh, get up and, and, and shake, the, shake the hand. Um, and I, I think like, as he shakes your hand, he, uh, turns your hand over to inspect, uh, the, the rings and whatnot on, on your finger. Uh, maybe it seems like he's just looking at it. Uh, did you know you have uh, hands are made for film? Oh. <laughs> what is oh, that? Ha- a voice. Uh... I would love to get these hands in a movie. I hate that. What? I hate it what? so much. Wait, hang on. Hi, Johnny Kessler, small boy. Um, look, <laughs> You, what do you mean you want to get his hands in a movie? And what about the rest of him? Oh, I should not explain myself to you, small boy. Oh, okay. Shoo, shoo. Ah, he's shooing me. <laughs> I've, I've been shooed. Armand I feel as uh, if, yes. has no blood in his face to, with which to blush. But upon being like flattered in such a manner, he like, looks aside being like, oh, oh um, really? Well, I've always... Um, uh, Fancied myself a bit of a an, an, an actor, actor. Captain, but he's just talking I, about your hands. Can we I, fast Captain track this to the pass pile? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, no, no, no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I am a hardworking man. I am shooting about five films right now. Right. Now. What's I've a film? Diary of a Roman Virgin. A more sexy Diarrhea Canterbury Tales. Diary of a Roman what? <laughs> Erotic Nights of the Living Dead. Oh that well, very that funny, is um, that that sounds of uh, of relative interest. <laughs> so you're a pornographer? No, 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 no. An erotic, erotic film. filmmaker. It's a pornographer. What's what to you is the difference between pornographer and erotic filmmaker? Which parties I get invited to? Okay. <laughs> mm. <laughs> this this begs a question. So, all right. So we have Joe Dimato. Uh, this is a a person who has appeared in our lives because of uh, a glitch in the system. But this is a fun thought experiment. If one were a Jekyll and one were a Hyde, of the person that we know whose name is James D'Amato, you know, that person that we know. <laughs> and this is Joe D'Amato. Who is the best case scenario for this, like, duality? In terms of the one uh, who you want to know, who is a jackal? <laughs> this is challenging. I don't... <laughs> is there a, a version of Jekyll and Hyde where they're both bad but different? I'm, I'm pretty sure that is actually the story of uh, Is the uh, one not a good one? I've never read it. I don't read uh, it. Now, if you are watching my film... Uh, I feel uh, like I don't want to... I feel like I, I don't want to... The story of uh, Dr. Jerkel. No. Uh, <laughs> you will see... Adamalfati uh, there, God. I almost died. <laughs> Dr. Jerkel and who? Dr. Jerkel oh, and it's who? It's in the air. It's in the air. You got to catch it. <laughs> 
this one is just to call Dr. Jerkle. No, it's Dr. Uh, Jerkle and Mr. Ride. Nah, Mr. Ride! Right. Oh. Ah. <laughs> you have a brain for film! No, I do not. Cable, that was nothing. incredible! No! <laughs> do, no one encouraged this! <laughs> uh, spit, spit, do we have a casting couch available? <laughs> no, well, I, I have been, by overboard, formally banned from operating any casting couch! Ah. Uh. All right, mm-hmm. and we did toss that couch overboard. <laughs> Which but it was just unsanitary. Yeah, no, 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 no. It should not, should not exist. Uh, hey, so uh, if if you were to join our crew, what Which would you not. even do? Uh, and, and again, <laughs> I, I have, I am so very much uh, on board with Travis right now. But I'm just, I'm just doing the formalities. I haven't asked a question yet. Well, a small boy, I would uh, probably come aboard uh, your ship and begin shooting pirate-themed erotic films. So, you know, what? also, if there were any uh, podcasts on the ship, I would take credit for them. I think he's <laughs> taking credit. I think he. I think th- this being in listed in his IMDb or whatever or his Podchaser reviews, I think that's a net negative for him, right? I don't know. It's pretty embarrassing. <laughs> I have some pretty sketchy work in, <laughs> in my filmography, so mm. this is a podcast. I'm not very good, but also uh, compared to things that I've already done, who You're knows? So Italian. Sorry, are you You're Italian so or Italian. strong bad? <laughs> <laughs> no, if we wanted me to audition for the crew. No, I'm not- I'm over here hey, on the hey, line. Don't- Oh, I would love to cast Warrior. Not Triumph. (laughs) No (laughs) coming! We cannot afford a lawsuit from the Homestar Runner people. (laughs) Now, I think we could. I, I used to work in a video store, and around the time that one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies were coming out on video, there was a pornographic Pirates film that was very, very high budget. Oh, yes, a wonderful film. We were not, we did not sell adult films. We were just films for anyone but adults. And we did get a very large shipment of the sexy pirate film in that we (laughs) could not sell because... Basically, it was ordered accidentally because they thought it was not a sex pirate film. Mm. And then we just had like 40 copies of the sex pirate movie that we couldn't sell. What? Mm. What? That's a big mistake. Yeah. <laughs> what did you even Wait. do? What did you even do with those afterwards? <laughs> I don't know. We must have eventually shipped them back because we didn't. We eventually didn't have them anymore. So, But we did not sell them. This was not a video rental store. No, it was a, it was a, a movie stop. It was GameStop for movies. Oh, it was oh. The same company. Yeah, I had no idea that was a thing. Oh, it it didn't last long. Like Fandango for your DVD. Like Fandango Uber for, for watching. <laughs> no, you're getting GameStop for movies. Is was exactly <laughs> it. It's it's like Grubhub for uh, extra Furniture. features. <laughs> Like a Tinder for 
uh, movies? No, it was it was GameStop for movies. I feel like we had it. <laughs> oh, the other cool thing is right before I left because I had to go to college. I had to go to college. They made me. <laughs> I we we had a refrigerator that had a bunch of soda in it, so you could get a soda to enjoy with your your sexy pirate film, mm-hmm. and oh, sort of like Google Maps for keeping soda cold. <laughs> <laughs> and it it all happened to be very expired because we didn't sell many sodas, so we mm-hmm. had to get rid of them. And I said, I'm going to college. Can I take all of these expired sodas? And they oh. said, of course you can. So in freshman year, my dorm was just full of expired Sprite. And you know what? Soda doesn't really expire. Did, did, <laughs> is this a, an enterprise? Did you sell these uh, cans of expired, potentially lethal soda? Or did you no, just I was like... Just, I- I was just giving it away for free. I had the party room, you know? Oh. Everyone, <laughs> everyone said, this, guy, this guy's got Sprite. Doesn't have old. alcohol, but he has a lot of mixer. I know literally <laughs> one thing about uh, American universities, and apparently it's like frat culture where you ram a pen into the can of choice and then crush it to eject. Oh, the, you mean oh, the shotgun? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> no, where you uh, shotgunning expired soda is my main question as part of your curricula. Look, as soon as we're done with this, we're, we'll all shotgun beers together because it's. I, I could assure you, it's not just a university culture. That's American culture. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. It seems that um, we we've uh, not been especially interested in having a th- filmmaker, but but. And he like pulls out a tiny business card. If you are interested in shooting a sequel for that uh, erotic horror thriller, <laughs> uh, you can uh, receive at this address. I have a PO box. You can send the information there. It'll be great. Thank you. Mar, grazie. Hey, ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're out. Yeah, you're... get out of here. <laughs> yeah, <we're... laughs> All right, Italian. You you really you don't shotgun it. beers? Campaign Skyjacks is a one-shot network production. For more information, be sure to follow us on Twitter over at CampaignPod for updates about live shows and other events we might be doing. Design Doc started as a podcast about designing a role-playing game. Over the years, it's turned into so much more. It's a show about the challenges of burnout, making money from creative projects, and what goes into bringing a game to life. Come along with Hannah and Evan in a living documentation of the game design process. One review described it as the audio equivalent of taking a hike with a good friend. You can search for Design Doc on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find more great gaming shows over at oneshotpodcast.com. Like OneShot. Take it from me, heroes. The most fun way to learn about new games is to listen to them get played. Every week on OneShot, I, your host, James D'Amato, bring you actual play recordings with a talented cast of improvisers, game designers, and other notable nerds. Each month features a new group trying a new system, exploring a wide variety of genres. The stories are self-contained, so you can jump in anywhere. And it's a great way to find new games. Discover the magic of RPGs with OneShot on your favorite podcast app. Jonnet Kessler was played by Tyler Davis, who can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Tyler A. Dave. He also co-stars and consults on Showtime's Work in Progress. Gable was played by Liz Anderson, who can be found on Twitter at Liz Anderson underscore underscore underscore, or on her podcast, Paired. 
Travis Matigo was played by Johnny O'Mara, who can be found on Twitter at Johnny and Briefs or on his podcasts, Bill Buds and Dilettante Ball. Captain Oromar Vale was played by Nathan Blades, who can be found on Twitter at Phantom Arts ENT. You can also find them streaming on twitch.tv slash theneoncaster. I am James D'Amato, your host and game master. You can find me on Twitter at OneShotRPG or on my other podcast, OneShot. The original music featured in this podcast was written, composed, and performed by Arnie Parrott. You can find him on Twitter over at A-R-N-E-P-A-R-R-O-T-T. You can find more of his work at atptunes.com. This episode was edited by Casey Tony, who can be found on Twitter at Casey Pony or on his podcast, Neoscum. Our logo was designed by Fiona Shea, who can be found on Twitter at Fiona Pup. The World of Sphere was inspired in part by the music of the Decemberists, and Illimat, produced by Together Studios. This show uses a modified version of the Genesis role-playing system, designed by Sam Stewart and a team of talented professionals who were fired by the private equity firm owning Fantasy Flight Games. Health to the strangers who've ever been kind, and once for our friends near to rise. Twice to the dearest we're leaving behind, who know we can never deny the call of the sky.